Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hits podcast for the 19th of April 2018. It's just me today, Cameron Walsh. Um, Ryan's off actually teaching kids um, uh, health and fitness, I suppose, being a PE teacher. Um, but fortunately, um, we've got... Oh, hang on a second, Matt. How the hell do you pronounce your last name? No. <laughs> it's Gaitka. Gaitka. All right, yeah. cool. I'm not even going to bother to restart this. I'm literally just realizing that I read it and I never know how to pronounce it. Uh, so <laughs> that's Matt. Uh, how are you doing, Matty? I am well, yeah. The the name thing, don't worry about it. It comes up a lot. <laughs> so I still don't I'm, reckon I'm, I'm very right. used to uh, I'm used to gracefully correcting people, so I don't, I'm not offended by it. <laughs> Thank you very much. I just realized I don't think I've ever actually heard it spoken. I've always read your stuff and, and all those sorts of things and followed you on Twitter, but never... Um, never ever actually heard the name mentioned. So um, just quickly, Matt, where can we find your stuff? Well, you can find me at that name, basically. Look for me on pittsburghhockeynow.com, which is a relatively new website that Ooh. I co-own with my my good friend Dan Kingersky. And, uh, well, also on Twitter and Facebook. I'm, I'm sending my takes out via social media just my name, Matt Geitka, M-A-T-T-G-A-J-T-K-A. Thank you for spelling that, because even though I've got it in front of me, there's a very good chance I'll probably go ahead and get that wrong. <laughs> uh, so, like I said, I'm used to it. <laughs> as you would be. Um, formalities out of the way, what do you think of the Pittsburgh Flyers series so far? Well, I think it's going as expected. I thought the Penguins, I knew the Penguins were a better five-on-five team than the Flyers. I knew they had absolutely lethal power play that could turn a game or turn a series for them. And I know that all these games have been lopsided one way or the other, but I'm not necessarily disappointed by it. Maybe some fans are. They wanted to see closer games, but for me, actually, I'm a little weird. It's more satisfying for me when the better team wins. And I came into this series thinking that the Penguins were the better team. So it just makes sense in my brain that they have taken care of the Flyers in this way. Goaltending, that's such a, a massive edge for the Pens. Brian Elliott doesn't look like a playoff goalie right now. And I wouldn't start him for, for game five. Actually, I wouldn't have started him for game three or four either. But Dave Haxtell wanted to reward a reward a guy who played decent for them down the stretch. But it's just at every position you look at it. And the Penguins are just deeper and they're more experienced. That helps, too, when things get a little bit heated in the playoffs. They're not going to lose their heads as we've seen over the last two years. So it's playing out as expected. I initially said Penn's in six because I thought it'd take them a couple of games to shift into playoff gear, but they've pretty much been there since the start of game one. Yeah, well, my biggest concern for this Penguins team was the inconsistencies of Matt Murray from the regular season, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like, that was probably the biggest fear. And um, to start off with a shutout in game one and then have the bit of a stinker in game two, I'm thinking, oh, God, is it literally going to ride on... Matt Murray's performance the rest of the way, um, but he seems to have stabilised what he's doing. The um, the mental strength of that man is is quite amazing, to be perfectly honest, because he did come out before the playoffs and basically say, no, nah, you can worry all you like, but I'm going to prove you all wrong. And it's like, okay, not a problem. Well, he had a very difficult season off the ice, of course, of course. with the loss of his father and that's why I, I was willing to give him basically a free pass for the whole regular season. That sounds weird for a guy who was in his first year as a number one starter in the league, if you really look at it. But what he had done in the playoffs and what he had done in a, in a shorter sample in the regular season, too, 
there was no reason for me to doubt him. Now, I test would say that he wasn't playing very well. well the numbers would say he wasn't playing very well either <laughs> yep. this regular season. But I, I wouldn't say that I thought he was playing awful. And after he came back from the concussion, I thought he was fine. And if the Penguins play the way they're capable of playing, they don't need much more than fine in net. They don't need a guy to steal a, a game. Maybe once in a while you need it. Maybe in a series when it's more evenly matched, you might need it. But at least in this series, I felt pretty good about Matt Murray being uh, a net positive for the Penguins. And, and boy, has he ever been. Absolutely. I know game two, he, yeah, he was upset about a couple leaky ones in game two. Uh, but uh, overall, he has uh, done what Matt Murray does, which is um, be focused the whole way through the game, not really have too many lapses in these big events, these big moments. And, uh, well, he, he's very good at, at shutting down the high-danger chances, and he's been uh, right on top of everything. No, no rebounds given up either, very calm, very Matt Murray-like in this first round. It's, it's funny you mentioned calm because I remember reading a, a quote from Chris, Chris Letang saying, how calm and unflappable Matt Murray is back there, which to me is very different to the type of person and style of play that Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, throws out there. And I think maybe he has got a calming influence on the team. It's always going to be one of those um, coin flip things in regards to the Fleury-Murray thing. Like Marc-Andre Fleury is my favourite player. Um, the team did the right thing by moving him on. But you're always going to have that divisive nature, I think, about Fleury's tenure in Pittsburgh. Very similar to the way Jeremy Yeager has split opinions in regards to what he was like uh, in Pittsburgh. But it's good to see... Um, I suppose playing the Flyers is not too bad for Murray, just to be able to get his footing. Because if they had to play the Capitals or something like that, I know it's the battle for Pennsylvania, but no one really, I think, seriously thought Philly was going to really push Pittsburgh, did they? I don't think so. I didn't see anybody picking the Penguins in, in more than six games. I didn't see anyone picking the Flyers at all. That I, I It was just an informal scan of national media and a little bit of local media. But even people who cover the Flyers, and typically you're going to be a little more biased toward the team that you do cover, mm. I didn't see anybody thinking that this was actually going to be uh, an upset situation. Maybe one or two uh, actually come, come to mind. But you rarely see that type of consensus in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And uh, so the expectations were, were definitely there for, for Murray and the Penguins to rise to this occasion and to, to get it figured out after a very up-and-down regular season. And to your point about Flurry, in the past two or three years, he well, actually three or four years, he calmed down his, his yeah. technique. You go back and watch some old Flurry clips, and it's amazing how much he's all over the crease, around the crease, around the net, um, just uh, generally very loose in terms of technique almost the opposite of Murray. But really, if you look at the last couple of seasons, Fleury isn't that different from most goalies in uh, in his comportment around the crease, whether we're talking about aggressiveness or just, uh, you know, plain old personality, um, as far as you could tell, in a position where a guy has a mask on. But, yeah, Murray is very exceptional in the, the calmness with which he plays the position. And maybe it's just something he was born with, because I don't know if, uh, you you can't uh, force that on someone. No, you can't I think coach in, in some cases, you either have or you don't. No, you're exactly right. And Fleury, it's funny. Fleury tanked three years in Pittsburgh in the playoffs and right in the middle of Malkin and Crosby's prime, and that was probably mm -hmm. what he's going to get crucified for. If you go outside of those 
three seasons. His numbers are, uh, are quite fine, but moving on from a topic that I like to beat on this um, podcast, a bit, <laughs> any, okay. any surprises at all in this series so far? Um, surprises. Well, I have to say that maybe on the the third line, I, I think finally we're seeing um, Broussard find a decent line mate or decent set of line mates that work with him. I'm surprised that Kessel and Broussard didn't work out. And I don't know if they're going to go back to that combination at some point. Of course, Mike Sullivan has never been afraid to tinker with line combinations, whether between games or during games. However, with with Rust and Sherry, it looks like that might be the best possible combination. If you um, if you look at some of the the shot metrics out there, Rust with Broussard, especially. I wrote about this for Pittsburgh Hockey. Now, that's the one line mate, uh, Brian Rust, that has brought the best out of Broussard in his short time in Pittsburgh. He and Kessel have created a decent amount, but they also gave up a lot at the defensive end, which is a little bit odd because I didn't consider. Broussard to be uh, you know, a one-way player. I, th- I think he can play all 200 feet, and I think he's shown that over his career. But Phil Kessel's just a different kind of cat, and, and he and Malkin seem to have some sort of an agreement or a, or a <laughs> chemistry there, don't, don't they? It, it's just whenever they're, when they're out there, it may not be the most consistent level of production, but they have these moments of glory that can turn a game, like we saw the 2 nothing goal in Game 4 at Philadelphia. The Flyers had a couple of nice shifts. Uh, one really long extended one, in fact, but then they turn a puck over, Malkin and Kessel are out there, and they go two on one and they score. So uh, from what we saw in last year's playoffs and now this year with some recent good play, I would keep Kessel and Malkin together. And I'm not sure I would have said that at the start of this series. No, I would have liked to have kept the three of them separated. Absolutely. And because um, it, it almost feels like you're shortening the lineup a little bit. But um, yeah, watching... Game four and, and seeing Broussard. Best game Shiri's looked in, in a, a couple of weeks, to be oh, yeah. perfectly honest. And, yeah, so the, the three, like Rust, Broussard, and, and Shiri together, it it certainly looks like it's um it, it's a combination that allows some flexibility for Sullivan at the very least, which is, is something that he was lacking early in the year. He had no flexibility whatsoever. Well, yeah, right. He had to load up and... Perhaps I wasn't giving Broussard enough credit that he could carry his own line without a quote-unquote star on his wing. But I suppose all of us think back to 2016 and, and how effective the Penguins were and what a matchup nightmare they were with the HBK line clicking and then Crosby on his own line and Malkin on his own line. But you have to be flexible in this game, and these are human beings. Certain things don't always work the way that we thought they would. Heck, HBK didn't work after 2016, which was odd, I always thought. Yeah. So uh, you have to move on. You have to look to different combinations, and uh, perhaps that's the way to go. Just have Broussard there, not to make it uh, a checking line per se, because as we saw, Sherry can be a real bulldog on the four check, and, and we know what Brian Russ brings too. So that could be a, a good, effective line on its own right without having Kessel on it. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, any disappointments at all from either side? Mine would definitely be the play of Giroux and uh, Voracek. Yeah, I expected more from those guys, but they're fighting an uphill battle. And now with Couturier out, you really saw it on on Wednesday night in Game 4. The Flyers have very limited uh, options as far as finding the right matchup out there. And in the home games, the Penguins got Dumoulin and Latang out on the ice at even strength against the Giroux-Couturier line. And Dave Haxtell loaded up with 
Voracek on that line starting in game three. That's pretty much what he has to do. He has to just roll the dice and bet that they're going to, to come through. But uh, for, for a couple of players in Giroux and Voracek who really lit it up in the regular season, 102 points for Giroux, my goodness, I don't think any of us thought he'd get over 80 um, again. So full marks to, to them. Maybe they're a little out of gas. I don't know. But the playoffs are just different, and you have to take it to that extra half-step level uh, of intensity, uh, kick it up a little bit. And I'm not sure I've seen that from Giroux in this series. And uh, I hesitate to really criticize them too much because uh, they have a rookie behind them and Nolan Patrick, who's looking good. Yeah. He's actually had the better chances, I think, he is looking in this good, series. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's been he's been fine. But there's no real third or fourth line depth to speak of in Philadelphia. So if there's one thing for Ron Hextall to work on in the offseason, it's to – it's to stretch out that lineup because right now just too much is on those those star players and and Cameron as we saw in the middle part of the Crosby Malkin era you can have even two superstar centers but if they don't have enough support then you're going to be able to get matched up against in the Go playoffs south real quick yeah <laughs> absolutely um, m- moving on um, you get a vote uh, with the Masterson is that right. That is, in fact, I already cast my vote, and uh, it's an interesting award, isn't it? Because I don't really know what to make of it. It typically goes to the guy who was injured, who had the the most um, onerous life circumstance get in the way. So it, it was. Uh, it's my first year in the PHWA, the Professional Hockey Writers Association, and uh, it, it's the one award where I don't really have a, a good definition of what I'm supposed to vote for. So I guess that was kind of fun. <laughs> I'm assuming you voted for Latang. If you give it the definition you just did, I put him uh, second. Actually, I voted for Roberto Luongo as my Masterton winner, and I'll tell you why. The, the award says dedication to the sport of, of hockey, and Tick. for for a guy like Luongo who has been through his share of travails on the ice. Not that he's gone through. Uh, a ton off the ice necessarily, but I don't really read this award as having to be that way. Um, he's hung in there. He's played over a thousand games in net. I believe he's just the third player to do that um, in NHL history at that position. And to keep his level up this yeah. long, that takes tremendous dedication. It, it's such a strenuous position to play these days. This guy, he's the only goalie left in the league. I looked this up who was allowed a goal to Mario Lemieux. So he's been around for a while. <laughs> And he gave up a couple to him. In fact, there's some highlights out there you can find. Back in the 1999, or pardon me, the 2000-2001 season, playing for the Florida Panthers, I saw Lemieux wire a slap shot by him, and I thought, wow, yeah, Luongo has done it for this long. So I tend to lean toward those types, the the players like a Matt Cullen. I would have voted for him in the past just because of the difficulty that it takes to get close to two decades of effective play in this league. It's such a fast league, and whether you're a skater or a goalie, not easy for someone who's approaching 40 years old. So, yeah, I gave it to Luongo. Chris Letang was my second place. Um, and actually, my third place vote is, is eluding me at the moment. But ah. um, And I also had a, a vote in the, the local chapter in order to get the person to the, to the national vote. And um, I'll be honest, I voted for Latang number two there. I put Matt Murray as number one because yeah. of what he's gone through off the ice. So, yeah, yeah it, it's almost like uh, – it's an inkblot test. What do you think dedication means, and, and how do you vote for that? I'm not sure there's a right answer. You've actually given me the most uh, descriptive um, response to that kind of a question I've heard across any media outlets. I think your original, <laughs> well, your original yeah, I point of 
oh, it's just whoever's gone through the most heartache, whether it be professionally or personally. I like your definition. I've never heard anybody actually give that definition out publicly. So I'm very impressed with that, man. That's very, very nice. I like to think about what I say, so it doesn't always work out. But <laughs> right, and, and I've had time to think about it too on the outside. So I'm kind of a rarity where I didn't get right into the the journalism side. I was in PR. I was in broadcasting more at the start of my career. So yeah, and I was just a general NHL fan. So I had a lot of time to think about this one before I put my vote into effect. Um, what have you thought of the? I, actually, I just want to get your opinion basically on Vegas. Like, you would have been like everybody else, not expecting this. It's pretty amazing they've managed to get to the second round of the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Vegas is the best story in sports. For yeah. me, it's not even close. And, yes, all of us thought that Vegas got some decent players, but every expansion team has gotten some decent players. But at the same time, it's uh, a situation where a team's coming in by itself, and it's also been, what, 17 years since the NHL expanded? So maybe all of our memories were a little bit faulty on uh, what exactly went on with the Thrashers and the Blue Jackets and, and how many good players they ended up getting. I believe, and this has been said as well by many of my colleagues in the business and, and competitors in the business, but it feels like some GMs freaked out or panicked and, and gave George McPhee more than he might have taken just – via the regular expansion draft rules. You know, there were so many trades that went on to protect certain players. My goodness, to see what Florida was close to making the playoffs, and they give up on Marcia So and Riley Smith. I could yeah, see one, yeah. but both That's end up with... That's the example. <laughs> right. It's, it's crazy in that way. So in a lot of ways, it's an indictment on some of the GMs across this league. But still, when you're a team that just gets thrown together like this, and to come together that fast... What a credit to Gerard Gallant, who I was lukewarm on during his stint in Florida. I wasn't sure if he was a good coach or a bad coach. I think we can say he's definitely above average after what's going on here. And off the ice, I just love seeing the NHL get into this market first. I was all over this from the start. I was a yeah. big fan of getting into Vegas, so it feels like I had some emotion invested in it already. I just felt you want to get into this this market is a good pro sports market. I have family that lives out there, and I've been out there a few times. It's not just the Vegas Strip. This is a real city. They've tuned in for hockey in the past. Yeah, they probably had other favorite teams before the Knights showed up, but it seemed like a sleeping giant for me. And to get into that area and to get into that city first as a pro sports league, that's such a win, first of all, even before they took the ice and started to win at a ridiculous rate. But where they are now... You're making hockey fans for life, and that's what I'm all about. I love it. I love spreading the game and spreading the gospel of it. So it's right up my alley with, with Vegas' success. Yeah, I couldn't really agree more. Like, due to Fleury going there, they're basically my second team. So Right, like... yeah, there's so many former Penguins on that team too. It's really uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. easy to root for if you're I mean, a Penguins fan. J James Neal is a crazy man. but um, you, A little you do, bit. I do get there and, and – I was like, I really hope they do well. I had no idea that they were going to do this well. If anybody was crazy enough to put a, a hundred down on, on them to, to make the, <laughs> the playoffs and win a round, then you'll be a very rich person right about now. Well, I, it's funny you mentioned that. I was in Las Vegas in late September for a friend's bachelor party. And, well, first of all, the Edmonton Oilers were co-favorites to win the cup at that time. At the, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> at the Barrage Sportsbook. Let's not forget about that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's another conversation. 
Right, but the Vegas Knights were uh, they were dead last, I want to say, even being from Vegas and having that home advantage, if you will, when it comes to to being the the favorite to have money placed on them. But not even there could they get favorable odds to even make the playoffs. So, yeah, if you put 100 down on them making the playoffs, I'm not sure who was taking that specific bet, but it's unprecedented in, in modern sports. And you look back to, well, it's it's been since, what, 1967 that um, an expansion team in the NHL has made the postseason and won a round. And even that has an asterisk because all those teams were in the same division in 67, the Penguins and the Flyers and the Golden Seals and uh, and the Blues, et cetera, the, uh, the expansion six, they were all put together so they could have some success right away. So that doesn't even really count. It's not really a... No, that's cheating. Or that's that's this at definitely all. cheating. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's no comparison. So it's very rare with how far along we are in, in the history of pro sports that you have a, something completely new, but that's what the Vegas Golden Knights are. It's been great, to, to be perfectly honest. This is, this, I have to admit, this whole year's been really fantastic. I mean... You know, Colorado made the actual playoffs, um, which is ridiculous. And, and mm-hmm. same with Jersey, when you consider where, where they've come from. Um, I like the fact that Winnipeg are, you know, a, a dominant team. Um, it's great to see Tampa healthy. And as much as I don't think the Leafs are going to win, you can just feel the vibe of that particular team with the groundswell behind it of, the money in this league could just go crazy if the Leafs do well. Yeah, that's a good point. That would, um, well, that would help the Penguins because it would raise the salary cap. They need which the is salary cap, yeah. Yeah, right. But yeah, just generally speaking, I think the league's better off when the Leafs are good. I think it's more fun. Um, and I wouldn't rule them out in this first round series. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm going to pick them to win. But they're just fun to watch, too. There's so many teams that are fun to watch. Colorado, you brought them up. I wrote them off middle of the year. Uh, they had that, that nice run, though, to get right back into a playoff spot. I think it was December or January. And uh, they're giving Nashville a, a pretty decent series. Nashville might be the best team in hockey, but uh, they have, they've held their own. Colorado has in that way. I love watching Taylor Hall. I just feel like the sport's in a good place. And, uh, yeah, overall, we could complain about this and that. But it's funny how just at the grassroots, speed and skill is winning out. And that's why this is happening. It's not anything that's being legislated at the NHL level. It's just, you know, I've worked in the, at the junior level. I've been at the grassroots of the game. And you see what's being rewarded. And a lot of it is top-down, too. You see a team like the, the Lightning make the cup final, the Blackhawks a couple of years ago, the, the Penguins win back-to-back years then kids want to start to imitate that. So there is a little bit of a give and take. But overall, the NHL has little control over what kind of talent comes into its league. And, and right now it's, I don't want to say it's smaller athletes, but it's definitely quicker athletes and it's uh, it's more technically skilled athletes than what we've ever seen in this sport before. Yeah, and it's fantastic. It's made for a much better product. You, you, you do sort of sit there and dream in like 10 years' time that there'll be four lines and and – three defensive pairs that can skate, move mm-hmm. puck, and, and push for, you know, half the league. Because you have a look at, at these 16 teams that are that are in the playoffs. LA got tossed because they couldn't skate with Vegas. And same with Anaheim. They just couldn't skate with San Jose. And San Jose aren't exactly what I'd call the, the a slick Rick team. Like, they're not quick. <laughs> so it is one of those things where if, you can, if we can get a few more years of success out of teams that have got some speed and some skill... Hopefully the the copycat nature of 
of pro sports will, will bleed across into more of that. Yeah, we're seeing it. It's already on a downhill angle as far as this transformation happening in the sport. Mike Sullivan talks about it. He talked about it this week. I like when, when uh, Mike drops the mic, so to speak, on some of these <laughs> things. It, it was it was brought up by, I forget who it was. It was uh, in a media scrum earlier between games, uh, between three and four, I believe. And someone asked, are you are you disappointed? Is this still a rivalry because there hasn't been a lot of the, the rough stuff in the Flyers-Penguins series? And he said, I think it's still a great rivalry. It's still very intense. It's just that the game has changed. And if you're looking for line brawls, you're just not going to find it. And then personally, I'm okay with it. I know the 2012 series was, was yeah. wild in a couple of different ways. That almost feels like the end of that sort of thing. We haven't really seen anything like that in the playoffs or even just in NHL hockey in general since that series. It's like everyone got their uh, their yayas out at that moment. And uh, ever since, <laughs> we've, uh, we've realized what wins in the NHL and what gets it done. And um, like you say, when you broke down a couple of those Western Conference series, it was obvious to me that Vegas was going to win. Now, it might have taken longer in my mind than it actually did, but they were flying around the Kings. And and the Sharks, when I saw the Penguins play the Sharks out in San Jose in January when I made that trip, they were the most impressive of the three floor, uh, California teams, pardon me, because they could keep pace with the Pens. So, yeah, it all comes back to that, and we can maybe try to, to break it down when two teams are, are evenly matched speed-wise. Well, yeah, then different things come into play, and it, it might pay off to have a Patrick Hornquist in there as opposed to someone else. But overall, you, you almost have to have the speed, first and foremost, if you want to win. Yeah, uh, you, it's great to watch, to be perfectly honest. It's the more speed in the well, the more skill. I just like to see skilled plays. So if you can remove the uh, unnecessary physicality that uh, evolves around suspensions, which is something I do want to get uh, your thoughts on before we wrap this up, seeing as you do have to get on the move uh, very shortly. Um, you happy with the way the suspensions have been doled out through the playoffs so far? Well, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I've liked that they've been willing to hand out the single games for things that aren't terribly egregious, but that you figure did have some intent with them. My complaint about NHL supplementary discipline in the past has been that it's either something really bad or they don't touch it. It's, it's felt like that in the last two or three years. But for me, you hand out one and two game suspensions, people get the message. And especially at this time of year when one game is massive. Um, but I'd like to see more of that in the regular season. At the same time, I think, these types of incidents have gone down just the, the the frequency of them has gone down dramatically over the last three or four years to our point about the game transforming. We're not seeing as much as this of this during the regular season at all. It's um, there, there are fewer and, and further between playoffs intensity ramps up. So I understand why these things happen and why um, guys have their, uh, their baser instincts, if you will get the better of them in, in certain situations. But um, I'm okay with how the NHL has legislated it. I always lean toward more punishment because I just feel like that sends the message more than having a, a phone conversation with someone in player safety or uh, or a fine, certainly. These guys respond to not playing. Uh, I know I would, more, more so than a fine. So um, that's just my perspective on it. Don't worry. I'm all for harsher fines. If you read any of the stuff that I've written on the suspensions, I've suspended a few guys for like a year and a half. So... Really? Wow. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far, but oh, well, um, maybe they're, the case they're of the, Matt, they're uh, the repeat or... offender guys. So basically, yeah. it's come down to the fact that I've got like a multiplier 
in the system that I use. And, you know, someone like Brad Marchant would, you know how he tripped over whoever it was the other day? You get there and go, right, you've deliberately yep. tried to chop that guy's leg off. Just as an exaggerated example, um, because you've done this sort of garbage seven or eight times prior, then you just get there and go, right, well, you're done for 12 and a half years because of the multiplier effect. They don't mm. seem to put enough into the repeat offenders that are left. You're exactly right. We're losing those repeat offenders. But until we totally get rid of them, um, then I think you're going to find that people like Brad Marchant are just going to walk around. People want the instigator rule back to try and get people like Marchant to behave. I think if you just had a bigger stick, like you were saying, you'd be fine. Mm -hmm. But hopefully it just keeps decreasing year after year. With Marshawn, it's almost like he's hacked the system and NHL player safety doesn't know what to do with him because he's an actual <laughs> good player. You know what I mean? This is almost like yes, I get it. not That's on great. the level of Crosby, but it, it's uh, Brad Marshawn is an excellent hockey player. I I like watching him when he just plays hockey uh, as opposed oh, to getting brilliant. involved in some of this. Yeah, he really is. I have to give him full credit because six or seven years ago, I thought he was just a pest with a decent scoring touch, but – He's a borderline star. You could look at him and and, and uh, Bergeron and what they've done together up there in Boston. They're terrific. They're they're great for the game in that way. But he still has these vestiges of, um, I suppose, what he felt like he had to do to get into the league in the first place and maybe didn't give himself enough credit. Now, the, the multiplier idea is very valid for me because past a certain point, you have to assume that he knows what he's doing and – Every time he gets suspended, it's only a tick up in one or two games, it feels like. And it's just it's just not enough to get into his mind. What you have to do is get into his mind during the game. And it takes a lot. Um, uh, it takes a lot of punishment to get into someone's mind in those in those spots. And, yeah, the threat of a half season or something like that or getting kicked out for the rest of the playoffs. I'm pretty sure Marshawn would behave if that was at stake. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad they, they tagged Kadri for, for what they tagged him for. Um it yeah. seems like a, he, I mean, he theoretically could have been out for the rest of the playoffs if they lost their way through. I mean, he will get to at least play game five. So he's not totally uh, toast, but it's it's those sorts of things, like you said, in regards to you, you need to hit him where it hurts, which is not playing slash not getting paid, um, which is the funny part about the playoffs because they don't get paid for the playoffs anyway. Yeah, right. It, this is all about opportunity and they they treasure the cup and the chance to win it, and uh, they don't take it for granted. Maybe they do, actually, if, if some of them are, are running around like they are. So yeah. uh, I'm encouraged by Kadri um, and, and that punishment there because that could have been bad um, with a guy after retribution, which he essentially admitted. You never really hear that in a post-game press conference, but he, he said that he was responding to a, a hit, a, a penalty that wasn't called, basically, and uh, while I would love to see that penalty, the initial penalty called and Kadri not feel like he has to carry out vigilante justice, um, it, it, you can't do that. That's that's when the really ugly stuff starts is when you start going tit for tat in those situations and then things escalate from there. Yeah, it's a really good point. Well, Matt, I think I might let you go um, so you can go <laughs> with your day, seeing as it is 9.30 in the morning your time. Um, so just once again, just reel off where people can find you so they, they know where they can pick up your stuff and, um, and get on board with what Matt's doing. Well, right. I always link my, my stories on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Matt Geitka, M-A-T-T-G-A-J-T-K-A. And, or you could, if you have trouble spelling that, just go to Pittsburgh Hockey Now. That's where all my hockey content is located these days. Podcasts, 
stories. I like to mix in the analytics quite a bit. Um, I find them very informative. And if you've been following my work for a while, you probably already know that. But that's a key point in what I like to do and trying to figure out what exactly is going on in this very crazy, chaotic game. And uh, we have some videos, too, on Facebook Live on our Pittsburgh Hockey Now Facebook page. Myself and my co-owner at the site, Dan Kangurski. We have a good point counterpoint thing going on. He sees the game in more of an old-school lens. I'm a little more new school, but we also go back and forth, and it's not terribly predictable when we do debate these kinds of things. So it's fun in that way. And I've just, I've had a blast and feel blessed to be able to cover. Last year, I was with a different website covering all the way through the Stanley Cup playoffs, seeing the cup raised in Nashville. And it looks like, looks like we're going to get to see at least a second round here for the Penguins. And I don't take that for granted either. No, it's, uh, you, you, we're all pretty lucky at the moment as Penguins fans. Well, yeah, it's, um, and, and as media, too, we get into this to cover the big games, right? So when the team that you cover is this successful, then you can only take it all as as a as a blessing to you and and try to take advantage of that and uh, and give the fans what they want, really, which is a little bit more on on the teams they follow. And this time of year, Cameron, I found that there is no such thing as too much. So <laughs> I try to I try to really grind it out at this time of the year and give the people as much as they can possibly consume over the course of their day. No, thank you so much for putting in all that work. Um, I read your stuff. I would recommend others do it too. You know that both Ryan and I are big on the uh, analytics, and Matt certainly uh, brings that perspective to it. So it's um, they're good reads. Um, well, that'll do us for today, guys. Um, this is a quick little bonus podcast. We are going to try and do one, uh, hopefully post-game five, schedules permitting. Um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.